G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. It is Australia Day and while there's increasing controversy and groups calling for change on Australia's National Day, one thing is sure. It will always be the day that the Christian gospel arrived on Australian shores. And since that time, no matter what colour, what gender or migrant heritage, there's been an amazing shaping of Australia on Christian foundations. As we remember the arrival of the First Fleet, we can't help but recognise that the first Christian chaplain arrived and prepared immediately to conduct the very first church service on Australian soil. You know, I was in Sydney just a few weeks back and stood in Richard Johnson Square, then visited the historic St. Philip's Church that was so prominent in the expansion of the gospel in Australia. Some reflection today on the very first sermon that was preached at the very first church service. Andrew McColl from Family Voice Australia is back with us and looking at what we might be able to understand in that sermon. Andrew, a special welcome back to 2020. Hey, thanks, Neil. Look, it's great to be with you and our listeners. Uh, look, it's a new year. I'm uh, looking forward to spending some time with you and our listeners. Andrew, when we reflect on that very first church sermon that was preached, now I know there's no original document, so you can't just say these are the sentiments that were expressed by the first chaplain, but we can speculate about the things that he would have included because we know the verse that he was basing his sermon on. Well, we do. He was speaking, Neil, from Psalm 116, verse 12, which says, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? And in a few moments, after a bit of an introduction to to our session today, where we go back a little bit in time, maybe four, five or six years, it'll help us to understand a bit more about what brought that fellow to Australia what motivated him, what was behind him even being sent to Australia. So if you'll permit me and our listeners will permit me, I'll I'll just kind of uh, wind the clock back a little bit from 1788. We'll go back to 1785, if that's okay with it you. It is absolutely okay, because when we're talking about a chaplain who traverses the world in this sense, uh, aboard the First Fleet, Uh, Not there by accident, or you'll do. This is the chosen chaplain, and uh, chosen by some very highly regarded and great reputation dignitaries uh, back in the homeland and uh, and sent to Australia. So this doesn't happen on a whim. It happened in a well-planned environment. Take us back into some of that history, Andrew. Well, the planning for Sydney and the the First Fleet and the settlement in Australia took 
quite some years to come about. And I'm I'm grateful to have have access to a book by the name of who's, who's na- the author of whom is Margaret Cameron Ash, and she recently wrote a book. When I say recently, in 2021, called "Beating France to Botany Bay," and that book is available from Quadrant Books, as I said in 2021. So I'm indebted to her for much of this work because she looked into a lot of early Australian history and including the years well before the first fleet settled. And um, so she looks into this and those of us who know Sydney or even live in the live in Sydney would be aware of a suburb called Matraville. Matraville was named after a gentleman by the name of James Matra, would you believe? And it was at an inquiry taking place in 1785 this is called the Beauchamp Committee, uh, which James was involved in, in response to a question about the sort of people who should be sent uh, with the First Fleet. Um, the, uh, and there was a query put to him about ministers of the gospel. And James Matra replied, I think it would be highly improper to establish such a colony without paying the utmost regard to religion. So there we have it, and so this this sort of gets the ball rolling on this whole discussion of the religious background of Australia and why some of these events took place. And um, so there was a there was something of a, of a of a beginning with that discussion. And what also took place was that most of us would be familiar with the fact that William Wilberforce was instrumental. Yeah, in, well, he was greatly instrumental, of course, in the, the turning around of the whole slavery issue in England and that, that being basically outlawed. Uh, and, but this happened many years later. Um, but because the Prime Minister of the day, by the name of William Pitt, was a great friend of William Wilberforce, he called on Wilberforce to see whether he could help him in terms of seeing whether there could be a suitable minister engaged for the task, and William Wilberforce, having his connections, uh, got involved, and many of us would have heard of the author John Newton, who wrote, of course, Amazing Grace, and he had connections too, so they put their heads together and came up with with someone, and, 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 and Pitt wrote to Wilberforce and said, the colony for Botany Bay will be much indebted to you for your assistance in finding a chaplain. If you can find such a clergyman as you mentioned, we shall be very glad of it, but it must be soon. So William Wilberforce talked to Pitt, and and Pitt talked to Wilberforce, and they got onto John Newton, and they came up with a gentleman by the name of Richard Johnson. Richard Johnson was a Church of England clergyman from Yorkshire, and he'd been ordained priest by the Bishop of Oxford in 1784. And so they they talked to Richard. He said, yep, I'll be glad to go out there. And so the wheels kept turning and the, and the process of organising the fleet was also underway. And um, so he was finally, shall we say, commissioned and he received these instructions. And it is our fervour, our royal will and pleasure that you do by all proper methods enforce a due observance of religion and good order among the inhabitants of the new settlement and that you do take such steps 
with the due celebration of public worship as circumstances will permit. So there we have sort of the first phase of the of the whole process, Neil. And I guess even deeper context there, Andrew, is that those meetings and those personalities that you mentioned, the likes of William Wilberforce or the Prime Minister William Pitt, the great hymn writer John Newton, they came on the wave of the Great Awakening under John Wesley, and there was a transformation that had happened in England at the time. And so they were running on what was quite a significant crest of a wave here. Not sure you want to add to that, but there's certainly a context, isn't there, for the choice of a chaplain like Richard Johnson? Well, there certainly is. And these these leading men of the society, we're talking about the Prime Minister, and we're talking about those who were around him, who were friends with him, they recognised the significance of the gospel. They had first-hand experience of that very thing that you're referring to, the, the Wesleyan revival in those probably five or six decades, uh, or those, the last five or six decades of the 1700s. And what a change had come. Now, this, of course, was still before the French Revolution, but the two... The two nations were going down separate roads. England was in, being impacted by, by the truth of the gospel, whereas France was going down much more of an enlightenment, uh, humanistic, atheistic track, which had its consequences with the French Revolution. And so we had these two roads to go down, one or the other. So that led to... That led to uh, Basically, Johnson being sent and his friends got around him and they organised to send him with a library of 4,000 books coming out with him in that first fleet, including 100 Bibles, 400 New Testaments, 100 prayer books and 500 Psalters. So good things were happening. And and so the, with, I mean, this was a fleet of 1,500 people with one preacher and his wife. Um, so he was going to have quite a task in some of them. Well, he was third in charge on the First Fleet. Her, such was the respect for a chaplain. And uh, when he had ordered that everyone be there at the First Church service, it was everyone. It was the governor. It was the soldiers. Uh, it was the convicts. Everyone was there and they all dressed up as best they could and and uh, I guess under a shady tree uh, near the site there that you can actually visit in the centre of Sydney, uh, corner of Bly and Hunter Streets, uh, they gathered for the first church service. And uh, after a voyage from home uh, to a place where they almost felt like uh, they were uh, outcasts, here they were on Australian shores. And the chaplain chooses this scripture uh, and choosing this from Psalm 116, verse 12. Give us some insights into what you can perceive would have been preached on the day, Andrew. Well, yes, I will. Just coming to that, uh, I should point out that it was basically the convicts were, were under the authority of their supervisors, and so the, the Marines were instructed to prepare for the event. The church drum was to beat at 10 o'clock tomorrow for prayers, the convicts were to assemble for divine service. 
on the left of the encampment and they were expected to appear as clean as circumstances will admit. The battalion was to be under arms at 10 o'clock to attend divine service. No man was to be absent on any account whatsoever. (laughs) So you have this kind of somewhat militaristic uh, position taking place. This was a this was a convict colony. Uh, the, the convicts didn't come just because they wanted to. They were told to be there, and they were told not to miss it. So you see how we we have this context. And he he decides to speak, as you said, from Psalm 116. What shall I render unto the Lord for all His benefits toward me? And and this is a rhetorical question which the psalmist asks his, his readers, his listeners. And what is evident here? Well, firstly, there's a God in heaven. Um, that's a big statement to make. Secondly, he has been kind to me, providing me with benefits. Now, these convicts have sailed around 20,000 kilometres. It had taken them seven months of sailing to get to Sydney. There had been loss of life on the boats, but in terms of the numbers of people who had arrived, hey, they did pretty well. They, they were looked after well on the boats in terms of the comparison with other long ocean voyages in that time. They did very well. They'd made it safely. They'd gotten off the boats and, hey, yep, they were there. So they had all of these opportunities in front of them of a new life in a new country. Now, hey, she was fairly primitive. It would be hard, and it would actually be pretty tough initially. They would have to start from scratch. No buildings, no cultivation, nothing. Nothing to... Nothing to sleep on except maybe a blanket. No, probably no mattresses. If you wanted to be outside the boat, you'd better have a tent. And there probably be was a tent, but there might not be. Yeah, she was. You'd need to be a fairly hardy soul, but it would pro- progressively get a lot better after a few tough years. And this was a context of him reading this to them. And one of the things that we actually note was that one of the one of the onlookers on the day of that Sunday service was a gentleman by the name of Watkin Tench. And he commented that the service was evidently well received by the troops and convicts, and I quote, whose behaviour on the occasion was equally regular and attentive. So this wasn't a case purely of Richard Johnson preaching to a bunch of convicts who didn't really want to listen to him. He was, it seems, quite a competent preacher and public speaker. And in the years to come, he would preach to hundreds of people on a Sunday. They didn't have to be there, but they could be there. So it seems as if they came to his services voluntarily, which is good. You know, the day we celebrate that first church service isn't always on an Australia Day like we're talking today, but uh, on a day that is set aside, National Christian Heritage Sunday, and this year coming up on the 5th of February, and uh, that's a day when you give attention to this 
However, being Australia Day and talking through our Christian heritage, it's good to draw attention to a message like that. Psalm 116 verse 12, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? Ought this, Andrew, have a special place in the life of every Australian Christian? What are your thoughts? As we reflect on that, we're looking at a biblical text, but this is pretty meaningful, isn't it, really, even to Australians today? Well, it is, because it means that right from the gospel now, we've had, sorry, right from the start of, of, of the settlement in Australia, 1788, and I'm not ashamed of that settlement. I know that there'll be some who call it an invasion, and everybody's entitled to their opinion. But I think it was a good thing for Australia, both then and today, that the gospel was brought to Australia right from the get-go of that first fleet settlement in 1788. And, and, it, and the gospel has been good for Australia. And I can say that because every, every society, every culture needs to be impacted by the gospel or else it cannot survive in the long term. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they that build it labour in vain. The gospel's been good for Australia. We have benefited from that degree of Christian heritage. There could be a lot more Christian heritage in this country, and we have much to do uh, in Australia But we thank the Lord for the fact that we can say with Richard Johnson, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? And I guess we can uh, we can speculate on how the future might look if we take to heart. A question, a rhetorical question like that comes from Psalm 116 and verse 12. A special honour to you, Andrew McColl, and all the team at Family Voice Australia. You're working to make that heritage continue, a Christian heritage for Australia. Let me point listeners to familyvoice.org.au and also to read the rest of Psalm 116. Didn't read the whole thing out today, and perhaps we will in the lead up to National Christian Heritage Sunday, but Psalm 116, you could read the whole lot, and you'll note that verse 12 has a context even in there as well, and there might be plenty more to glean from that psalm. Andrew McColl from Family Voice Australia, the Queensland State Director. Andrew, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts, your heart, your insights with us today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. Nice, nice talking with you again. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.